All right, thank you all, and uh, so good to worship with you, and um, um, thank you, Charles, for opening your home and your heart, and um, man, I didn't know, I, Suzuki has all the talents, and Charles has all the great ideas, right, and um, so we're just, um, I'm just always blessed by them, um, and uh, all the things that uh, God is doing at our church, and really, it's kind of a season where, um, uh, you know, God has been so faithful to us, and at our Brea Church and at Irvine Church, and uh, we just had our um, kind of members update the last couple of weeks, and um, we're just excited for the upcoming year um, of what God is doing for us to impact Orange County with the gospel to the best that we can. And um, so we're excited for the privilege of us being able to do that together and uh, really what God is doing at our church. Um, and if you're visiting us, we're so grateful, and we believe God has um, brought you to our church here on this week. And uh, so we want this to be a very enjoyable time for you. You know, we get to this text here, and um, it talks about Moses. Most of us are somewhat familiar with the story of Moses. Um, But it's uh, him making difficult choices, tough choices. And all of us, we we have to make decisions every day, right? Uh, What are we going to wear? Where am I going to go eat after? Um, And we have trivial choices like that. But as life comes along, we have very important choices like um, um, where am I going to live? Um, who am I going to marry? Uh, what am I going to do for a career? Um, and we have these important choices, but we sometimes uh, our choices are even bigger than that. Is um, Who am I going to serve? Where am I going to go to church? Um, how am I going to live my life? What am I going to do with my money? And these are these big choices that will come up as it goes. And really, Moses, in certain ways, is no different than us, that he had a faith in God, and he had to make some very tough choices. And uh, he makes two big choices that's mentioned here, right? And, and part one is he makes a choice to choose Christ over the pleasures of sin. And the second choice he does is he chooses the fear of God over the fear of the approval of man. And these are very difficult things uh, to choose God over, but he makes that by his faith. Uh, it's interesting, when you look at this passage, you know, it says in, the, in our reading, by faith, by faith, by faith, four times. And there's an uh, extensive description of Moses and how he lived um, and how he made his choices. And we're going to look at this a little bit today. You know, the first th- phrase that we see by faith in verse 23 describes kind of the beginning of his life where he had no control. If you really think about the significant things in life, we really had no control. And sometimes we want to take um, credit for it. It's kind of like a child telling the, the parent, you know, the small child telling the parent, I'm going to buy you coffee today, right? My daughters will do that once in a while. Like once in a while, like once in a long while. But they'll say, I'll buy you something, Dad. Um, and we had a, you know, and, and, but it's kind of like, oh, thank you. But then as a parent, you know where it's all coming from anyways, right? It's their allowance and it's this and it's grandma and whatever it is. Um, and so we go to God and we say, I'm going to make this difficult decision for you, God. I'm going to live for you by faith and we, I'm going to live in courage. But yet from God's perspective, in a way, you know, he's given us everything to make those decisions. He's given us our faith already. And so it's kind of this, on our end, we think like a child, I'm making this big sacrifice for my parents. But then from God's perspective, he's paid it all. And he looks at us like an endearing parent would and says, oh, that's so nice. That's so, I, I enjoy it so much. Um, and there's a sense of pride in his grace. But we see here, first of all, before he makes any choices in life, all the groundwork is laid out 
and Moses didn't lift a finger, right? You see in verse 23, by Moses, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. First of all, he's born during a time when the king wanted all the firstborns dead, uh, firstborn sons dead. Um, and so here, uh, he is living and born in this difficult time, but he has parents who care for him, a par- a parents who have a faith, uh, parents who are not afraid of the king's edict, it says. Secondly, he's born, and he says it's beautiful. You know, the commentators try to figure out, what does this mean, beautiful? You know, what do they see in him? Um, and it's really hard to pinpoint. Other than that, he was very good-looking, um, other than from the uh, person who is looking at him's perspective that there was spe- something special about him. And we could argue maybe that um, it was the parents, uh, the way they looked at him, right? Every parent thinks their child is beautiful. And it is out of the loving eyes of the parents. So he's boarding the situation. And they hide him for three months. They have to let him go. We know the story that's in uh, Exodus uh, one and two, where now they let him up the river, and as the sister is the lookout, and the sister, the older sister is taking care of the baby brother, and the daughter of Pharaoh happened to be in the water, and she opens the basket and sees how beautiful he is, and takes him in, and raises him. So all of these things, from his looks to his parents to um, a sister that cared for him to the coincidences of meeting. The Pharaoh's daughter, all of these things he had no control over. He cannot take any credit for these things. But it is by faith of someone else, the same faith that we all have here, that these things happen. And all of us are here today, uh, probably we could credit someone else for where we are today. If you really think about all that you have, all that you have uh, succeeded in life, or all of your talents, you say, I got to credit someone else. Right, ultimately, it's God, it was mom and dad, it's grandma, it's uh, my sister, my brother. It was somebody else that was instrumental in life. And we see this here. Uh, a series of quote-unquote coincidences. The first one, he has to choose God's way over the pleasures of sin. It says in verse 24 this, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of uh, Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What did he sacrifice here? Now let's be very practical here. He had it made. And the things that he gave up, first of all, he refused. He gave up his identity. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. As long as he was known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter or Pharaoh's grandchild or grandson, his life was set. What he said, uh, what he wished for would come true. Uh, His future, his inheritance, the power, and everything that was there for him was all set out before him. But he refused it. And what did he refuse it for? He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God, it says. The Israelites. The Israelites were slaves. So here is someone who is the number two, you could argue, right? The future king of Egypt saying, actually, I am a slave. And he chooses to be mistreated uh, with the people of God 
than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And it's interesting, the sin is pleasurable, but it is always fleeting. It is enjoyable, but it's always fleeting. It's always short-term. The joys we get from God may not be so enjoyable at the time, but the joy we get from God is never fleeting. And so anyways, he makes this decision, and he gives up so much, right? In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, uh, Stephen gives his last sermon, and he quotes, and he talks about Moses, and he talks about Moses, and he says about him, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in his word and deeds. So he had wealth. Uh, he had the identity. Um, he had the education. He was eloquent. He was powerful in word. He was someone who could speak in front of a crowd and move people. And also he was powerful indeed. He's one, someone who was very good at everything he did. And he had everything going for him. And you would imagine his friends, um, the one he knew as his mother, the Pharaoh's daughter, all of these things he gave up to follow God's will. Very, very difficult to say no to all of these things, but he did, and he did it by faith. It's interesting, um, uh, I was reading this week a biography on the life of William Wilberforce. Uh, a lot of you know him, he's the uh, one who helped end slavery in England that impacted all the other uh, Western countries, right? Uh, this abolitionist who did so much. You know, it's interesting, about his life, as Os Guinness says about him, that he was the most successful social reformer in the history of the world, he argues. He did so much to change the world. And uh, his life story, I think, kind of parallels what uh, we see here with the story of Moses, in a way. You know, at the age of nine, his father passes away. And it's at that time his mother gets very sick as well. To the point she feels like she cannot raise this nine-year-old son of hers. But they were very well-to-do. They um, made it a point to really kind of be in these elite social circles, and they were uh, well-off in all that they did. And the mom and the grandfather decides to send him off to his aunt and uncle so the mom could recover. And so the aunt and uncle take him in and they raise him from age nine. What mom and grandpa didn't know was that aunt and uncle were very serious in their faith. So they take him to church and he learned about Christ and the Bible and kind of the foundation was being set. Well, the rich people of the day, the elitists of the day, looked down upon those who took Christianity seriously. Um, they thought that Christianity belonged to those who were in the lower classes, those who were desperate, those who were in need. And so when they found out at the age of 12, they were so upset, they dragged him back home out of the bad influences of uh, aunt and uncle. And they raise him in a very secular, uh, successful way. He becomes, uh, he, he does so well, he enters Cambridge, and uh, the biographer talks about when he enters Cambridge, he had become now, he had forgotten the faith that was there. He said he had drunk the culturally acceptable waters of aloofness and skepticism toward anyone who took Christian faith seriously. And so he is now um, too cool for God. And he is partying it up. He's living it up. During these formative years as a young man, um, they realize he is very gifted in speech. He's very witty. He is obviously very intelligent. He sings very well. Uh, he is good at everything he does. And him and his best friend, they visit um, during the college years the parliament and the meetings that happen. And something triggers and they say, we want to be a part of this. At the age of 20, 
he becomes the youngest elected member of parliament. And so he is now landed, and he is now becoming famous, you know, and everyone is looking at this new generation that is uh, leading their country, and he's at age 20 uh, doing these things. But something happens later in his life. Uh, he decides to take a vacation, and he decides to take a vacation to the south of France, and he takes his uh, mother and sister, and it is, you know, with a uh, horse and, and a coach, and the coach is big enough for two people to um, actually sleep. It, it, it was a 1,200-mile trip. It would take weeks and weeks. And so um, he had two coaches available, and he put his mom and his sister in one, and he took the other one. But when you would take a trip like this, it was uh, very important you pick the right person to travel with you. Because you're going to be stuck with that person now for uh, weeks, 24-7. So, and you did not want to go alone. There was, it would, you would be too bored to be sitting in there alone all day. And he asks one of his closest friends, and then last second they can't go, and he's trying to find the right person, right? Can you imagine? This is a tough choice, right? Uh, you pick the wrong person, and they're just going to you know, talk your ear off, or they might smell, or whatever it is, and you're stuck with them. He happens to run across a mentor of his named Isaac Milner. Isaac Milner was his mentor during his Cambridge days. Isaac Milner now was occupying the, one of the most prestigious seats as a professor in Cambridge, and the biographer says that this guy was kind of known as the smartest person in the world, you know, in their day. He's about 10 years older than him, and <clears throat> he asks him, he says, I'll pay for everything, would you uh, accompany us and go? So he decides to go. Um, and they're on this trip, and one day they happen to be talking about people of faith, and uh, uh, Wilberforce assumed that uh, his mentor viewed people of faith in the same way, but he's shocked that he gets cut off by his mentor, Isaac Milner, and he tells him, no, this is very serious, and this is what faith is, and he explains to him the Christian faith. It is on that journey that he comes to Christ now. He makes a decision to come to Christ. And that decision now uh, makes him uh, become more courageous along the days. You know, there's a, one story that the biographer told is he goes to visit a pastor, John Newton, the very famous John Newton. But when he goes, he is so afraid that people would see him and recognize him and assume he is becoming one of like those lower class in need of religion he goes late at night in secret, you know, and there's a parallel with Nicodemus coming to Christ late at night, right, in the secret. And he goes and he, he's, and so these are these steps that he's taking that God is using in him. And, you know, he uh, utters these 20 words that will change him and change history forever. He says, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. And he fights his whole life for this. The Reformation of manners is not just etiquette and manners, you know, say excuse me or please, no. Manners meant the culture and how people behaved. There was rampant um, alcoholism and there was rampant um, sex and uh, just things were uh, culturally uh, were just really in a, a terrible place. And so this was on his heart and he gives his life to this. He sees slave trade be abolished in 18. Uh, 08, um, and uh, three days before his death in his 70s, in 1833, three days before um, he gets a message, a visitor from, a young visitor from Parliament that comes and tells him that Parliament had just voted to outlaw slavery. He dies three days later. 
and he lives a life like this. Um, the biographer talks about all the sacrifices he would have had to make. The social, the disappointment from his own mother um, to, to come out and speak this way, the, the countless number of death threats that he received, um, and just the, the things that he had to now make a decision on. But he did this by faith. Now, I share this with you here because this is, I think, what uh, Moses uh, went through as well. And this is, in a smaller way, what we go through. We have to make decisions. And sometimes um, I might have to end up losing out, missing out on certain things. But we choose God over the pleasures of sin. Uh, the second choice he made, the second tough decision that he made is this, that he chose to fear God and not fear man. Today, we may not, you may not be afraid of a man per se, right? But we love the applause of man. We love the adoration. We love the followers and the likes and the comments. We love those things. Do we love it more than we fear the approval of God versus the approval of man? It says here um, that he chooses. He makes this tough choice not to be afraid of the king, but to be afraid of the one, the king of kings, the invisible one. It says in verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Not being afraid of the anger of the king. Can you imagine when the king is angry and the king puts out an edict, kill all the babies and it is done. The king now gets angry, and if he speaks out against you, your life is done. And this is not just the anger of an average man. This is the anger of the king, the one that everyone treated as their God. And he says he chooses the one who was invisible. Not hard to do. You think about this today. I mean, isn't this what we often face Please, God, he's invisible. And then you have all these visible people around me, all these people that are watching me, all these people that are following me, all these people and their approval. Who do I go after? The one who is invisible or the one who I see in front of me? Well, by faith, he goes after the one who's invisible. It is G.K. Chesterton who said it so well. He said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures another. One fear cures another. Um, you know, all of us know about uh, Jackie Robinson, who broke, um, you know, this whole kind of the racial barrier in Major League Baseball. Many of us know that he's a great athlete, but what uh, a lot of us don't know about is his faith. And what a lot of us don't know about is the faith of the Brooklyn Dodgers president at the time, Branch Rickey. And Branch Rickey was a man very serious in his faith. And it is out of his conviction and faith he wanted to integrate his all-white team and bring in a colored person. And he goes and he, the person he was seeking, it's interesting, was not just a great athlete like Jackie Robinson, but he was looking for someone who would be very strong in their faith, who wouldn't retaliate, who would turn the other cheek, someone who was a devout Christian. Because he knew this was not going to be easy for the both of them. And so he looks for someone like this, and it's interesting, when they first met, um, they said that they met for three hours. He interviews Robinson for three hours, and he tells him this, and I quote, this is what uh, Branch Rickey told uh, Jackie Robinson. He says, we can't fight our way through this, Robinson. 
We've got no army. There's virtually nobody on our side, no owners, no umpires, very few newspapermen, and I'm afraid many fans will be hostile. And he pointed to the Sermon on the Mount, are you willing? Turn the other cheek. Can you do this for three years? Can you give me three years? And Jackie Robinson goes along with this. These are sacrifices where the majority says, just keep it as it is, and one person says, I want to make a difference. And history is made. And we have the opportunity before us, the choice before us, to always choose God's way over the wrong way. To choose what is maybe more difficult than what is easy. To choose to go off and, hey, please God in what I do versus do it in front of the uh, public. And it's interesting because at the end, by faith, Moses chooses this whole Passover. They put the blood over the doorframe of the house, right? He institutes the Passover. This is his choice he makes. He makes the same choice that we have made. And the choice that we have made as well, it was on Passover, Jesus Christ breaks the bread, passes the cup, and he says that he is going to be the one. He's going to be the one. The blood that is shed that will cover us and death will now pass over us. And we've all made that same choice. And I encourage you here. You read this initially, and the writer of Hebrews puts this here. And you read this and you say, gosh, he is so heroic. I'm nothing like Moses. But you know, it's interesting, when you read the Exodus accounts, Moses wasn't someone that just got up one day and said, I'm going to change the world, but it was baby steps. And it was often him in fear and doubt and struggle and saying no to God and God coming back to him. This is all about the story of the grace of God, that God was dragging him along and that God was giving him all that he needed. And when it's all said and done, Moses said, I, I, I got these things done for you, God. And from God's perspective, he did it all anyways. But God says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the gospel. In him, everything we have. And then we try, we try, we fail, we cry, we, 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 we backslide. But God in his grace grabs us and keeps us going. And as he keeps us going, uh, he says, you're doing this by faith. And now things happen. And as we come today, to worship, And as we come, as Moses had decided on the blood that was going to now pass over uh, and cover them. And we do the same thing with Christ. Um, as we do this, this is our choice that we have made. We've chosen to follow him. And he has given us this faith. And by, with this faith, uh, we can be courageous. We could do the right things. Um, and we can make these decisions every single day. We do it all by faith in him. So would you bow your heads with me, and then we're going to take communion as we do this. Lord, we thank you uh, for this word. And God, um, we have decisions and choices every day in front of us. We want to consider you the king of kings. We want to consider you the treasures we find in Christ before we do anything else, God. So would you help us to do that as Moses made a choice Lord, to put his trust on the blood of the Lamb. God, we now put our faith in you, and we do this in remembrance of you.
Uh, we thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.